0: Welcome to Fulhamish Podcast. My name is Sammy James. This is your seminal soundbite for everything to do with Fulham FC. Joining me in the studio, Farrell Monk is here. Good evening, Sammy. Ben Jarman's here. Good evening.
1: Alliteration, 10 out
0: of 10 tonight. Thank you very much. And Jack Collins is present.
1: Hello,
2: everyone.
0: So, we've got loads to get through on tonight's podcast. We'll have a look back at Saturday's feisty derby match at Loftus Road. We'll have a transfer update that isn't all... For about Ross McCormack wherever he is at the moment and we'll discuss Fulham's underrated heroes no not us although I was very tempted to throw our names into the hat and we'll also be answering your questions too at the end of the podcast quickly a little bit of admin from me if you're an Instagrammer you're on Instagram please give us a follow at Pod. we've just got ourselves an account Farrell is on it right this second uh, we're currently on 40 followers. It'd be nice... I'm blocking. I'm blocking. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> it would be nice to reach three figures maybe by the end of the week. Let's stay realistic about this. Jack, do you reckon that's possible? Yeah, why not? Why not? So, let's look into the derby. Now, the admin is out the way. QPR versus Fulham. The lunchtime kickoff on Saturday. I thought it was a classic London derby. A fiery game with loads of passion on display sadly lacking that little bit in quality. It was a game that suited QPR's style far more than our own. Uh, Jack, I'll start with you. Were you disappointed with the results or did you think a draw was a fair result in the end?
2: I think before the game, I thought we needed three points from it, but actually coming out at the end, I was reasonably happy with the points. I don't think we were very good. I don't think they were very good either, in fairness, but I thought they probably had slightly the edge on the better chances and it seemed it seemed to get to us as an occasion more than it did to them. I think we were like quite sloppy, which is very very rogue for us. And I don't think we rose to it in the way that you know there was a lot of talk beforehand about rising to the occasion and becoming, you know, and being clever with it. And I think that we got sucked into the game a little bit, a little bit much. But you know, at the end of the day, I I spoke to a couple of Rangers fans afterwards, and they said they were lucky to get a point. And I thought our parts, we were lucky to get a point. So you know maybe shares even spoils even fair
0: ben uh you were at the game with myself on saturday it was an electric atmosphere at the game but really it wasn't suited to fulham's style of play was it the way that qpr hassled and harried us for the 90 minutes
1: yeah i think you're right well it didn't suit us at all and they were very very good at disrupting our flow um they were very good at Keeping our lines very far apart, um, making the passes really hard to connect with other people, or other players, should I say? Um, and yeah, I think they just gave us a really tough time. They left a lot, a lot on Kearney and a lot on Aluko um, in particular because they obviously identified them as our main threats. But they held their positions incredibly well and uh, put us under a lot of un- a lot of pressure, um, somewhere that we're not normally used to coming up against. And I think. Um, yeah, it was just something that we didn't really like. They threw us out of our rhythm a lot.
0: But Farrell, just because a team
1: doesn't suit our style of play is not
0: an excuse for not getting three points. I guess if Fulham wants to progress and break into the top six, which we all know the club has aspirations to do, they're gonna have to find a way to get past sides that don't play pretty football that Hassel and Harry and, you know, are kicking us to pieces for the entire match
3: well maybe it's a massive learning curve for us because this is probably the first time we've come up against a team since we've been a solid team this season that will harry us for the the 90 minutes and really really hassle us and really put us off our game because a lot of the for long periods of that that game although we did have a lot of the ball we weren't playing as well as we should have done there was a lot of passes that were cut out well by qpr and you know you've got to hold your hands up well done to them for defending it. But there's a lot of passes that went astray when they definitely should have done. I'm talking 5, 10-yard passes, not under pressure. That just fell directly to a QPR defender. And they, they obviously knocked our rhythm a bit. And perhaps if we are going to challenge for the top six, that we need to iron out those and get used to teams like that that a better team would take advantage of.
0: So I threw it out to Twitter on Saturday evening and I said, should we debate the penalty, or not the giving of the penalty, I guess we'll come on to that, but the fact that Fulham yet again have missed a penalty. I thank you to David on Twitter that has worked out 71% of penalties have been missed by Fulham this season. But it was a brilliant run by Aluko, not that much contact. Did you think it was a bit of a soft penalty, Jack? I don't even think
2: it's soft, I think it's a dive. Uh, like straight up is a dive and if that had been given against us i said this with the barnsley game <laughs> that had been given against us i would be absolutely fuming and i think they they have a point to say that it wasn't a penalty it's a good save that's what yeah, yeah it's a good save the penalty is low and hard and in the corner and i think the sky sports twitter feed posted saying if you put your penalties in the corner they go in unless alex smithies is in goal He's saved six from 10 this season and what i'm going to term it after ben's uh, statistics earlier in the season about Jan Oblak, the Oblak effect, where Smithies has just started to get in into opposition's heads and they made a point of pointing out he'd saved five of nine and then now it's six in ten. So, you know, there's that and it's a good save and I think that realistically justice was probably done in, in that aspect.
0: Ben, do you think the Dive? He's running at full tilt. Any knock can sometimes send a player over.
1: Yeah, I think it is. There is contact there. I I think I might counter you there, Jack. Like... I looked it back on the match action today and it looks like there is a bit of contact there, although minimal. And I think you can draw some comparisons with the Jerome penalty that was given against us in the Norwich game. You can also see some similarities, although it wasn't quite as blatant as the Raheem Sterling incident this weekend with Carl Walker pushing him in the back. I felt like there was a slight push um, on Aluka. That's probably why he went down. And then on the penalty save, I think it was a brilliant saving, like you said, about Smithies, like his record second to none. But then in the wider context... According to a stat that I saw this week 77 percent of all penalties in football go in, so obviously twenty three percent missed um that in our in our small sample of this season is just not ringing true, but obviously shows that over the years there is more and more chance of you missing a penalty because obviously goalkeepers get bigger, they get leaner they get they get more technically sound so um yeah I think it's something we need to work on, especially in training.
0: I mean, we'll move on from the penalty because I did promise that we wouldn't dwell (laughs) on it too much. And hopefully we'll try and improve that record this season. I mean, I think it's almost impossible to get above 50% unless we really start getting a lot of penalties (laughs) now. But anyway, Slav spoke in the week, uh, Farrell, about creating identity within this Fulham team. That's something that we've alluded to several times on the podcast. I know Ben's brought it up a lot of times. However, it wasn't really on display on Saturday. What was it about the game that... Denied Fulham that rhythm, or were Fulham to blame as much as Queens Park Rangers stopped us?
3: Well, you would think that because it's such a it was such a lively atmosphere and a really kind of exciting match, like even the quality wasn't huge, that because of the occasion that it was quite an exciting match. You would think, considering going back to the Brentford game where you, it's similar circumstances, that the occasion wouldn't get to Fulham, but it just it just seemed to that day um and there were just a few misplaced passes and whatnot but i do think that even when we weren't playing at our best you can see what fulham were all about possession football attacking football even when even when things weren't going our way some teams would sort of go right let's get our foot on the ball let's just try and control possession wherever it is on the pitch just get you know a good passing sequence together. It wasn't that Fulham. Whenever they got the ball, regardless of what, what our confidence was like in any of the players, and whether we had actually got any chances recently, as soon as we get the ball, direct straight to goal. Let's get let's get goal. Let's um, let's attack them. Um, I was the Scott Malone interview straight after the game? He <laughs> he basically came out and said in no uncertain terms that there was only one team looking to win the game today. And there was one team that really wanted just to get the point because every time QPO got the ball, which was very rare, they tried to counter a little bit, but they were quite negative a lot. Whereas Fulham, straight to the goal, there's our identity. What we want to do, we want to get goals, we want to hassle teams, we want to get 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 on top of them as much as possible.
1: Yeah, naturally, as a as a Fulham fan, I'm going to agree with what you're saying and what Maloney is saying, but I think there are certain factors within the game And the way that QPR set up that basically allowed us to be putty in their hands in certain situations. Mm. And Sammy, you'll know this because I sat next to you for the whole game, basically screaming, can we be positive? And there are points when QPR are literally sat up, Johansson or McDonald have dropped deep to go and get the ball. And all it does is just force them upon us. Mm. It means that, if anything, our lines are elongated. It's much more difficult to connect with passes. And it looks like our threat is was completely diminished. Only until the point where QPR sort of started to tire did I really think that we were able to push on and create those little sequences. And that was only in towards the last 20 minutes where the way they'd pressed and held their positions and, and then obviously as a compact unit and then tried to press us, that was the point where they started to become a bit tired and that's where we found our openings. But I I, I wholly agree. Like We have got an ident- identity. It's just that this time the way that QPR set up made made us play negatively. And I think mm. the way we can see that translated the best is through Fredericks, who didn't attack the whole 45 minutes he was on. Um, but when we did get that last 20 minutes, when we were getting our foot on the ball, and it allowed us to actually you know, take a rest because when we got it back to counter, yeah. we had that energy there. And you're right, QPR never let us settle. In the, fr- in the first 20 seconds, they already had a shot, of goal and made Callas look very erratic, which is out of nature for him. You mentioned Ryan Fredericks. Jack, um, he had a fairly
0: poor first half. He's been on fire for us, really, in the last couple of months or so. What do you think it was that Ryan struggled with? Was it Jake Bidwell's very high-pressing? Jake Bidwell's basically sat on the halfway line uh, for much of the game. Or did Ryan find Loftus Road's tight pitch quite tough to deal with because he just didn't have so much space to run into?
2: Perhaps. I think that Holloway much as I really dislike the man and don't like complimenting him, got it spot on in terms of playing the two high fullbacks. It shackled Malone and Fredericks, and Fredericks especially didn't like it and lost his head and, Realistically, I think it was actually probably the right decision to sub him because I I was pretty sure he was going to get sent off. I thought he might get sent off before the end of the first half, if I was honest. And basically what happened, they targeted our key areas and the way we like to spread the ball. And then what happened was we started to panic on it in midfield because the options we always have weren't available. And then we make sloppy passes and sloppy decisions. And then it stopped the dynamism of playing, meaning we played a lot longer than usual. We played a lot of long balls to Martin and our three behind weren't, used to having to cover that much ground to to make up for it and as you know we have discussed before about Kearney not making up ground between you know unless he's on the ball and I think that the reason that Aluka maybe yeah he didn't have his best game but probably looked good to the you know your average bystander was that because he was the only one getting up in support of Martin and then getting back to pick up the ball and I think that if you look at how deep Kearney was coming to pick mm-hmm. up the ball on the edge of our own box it was kind of you know, what What can you do from there? Because, you know, when pe- when he's penned in there, he's not making those sort of small, intricate passes, even though, you know, we looked assured, mostly, still on the ball. And it just meant that we weren't able to play the kind of neat passing game that we, we're so used to and let let players expand. So I think there's a combination of lots of factors, but also mainly Holloway getting it spot on and, and us yeah. failing to break it down.
1: <laughs> I've got to agree with that. I think you've nailed it there. And one thing I I thought about whilst you were making that point is that not only are we known for our passing, but how how good we are at carrying the ball. Like that front three that like you mentioned, that they, you're not used to them ca- that them covering that amount of space. But in actual fact, they do, but it's just with the ball. And this weekend it didn't happen.
3: Yeah. Kenny reminds me a lot of, the, the way he plays reminds me a lot of Dembele, uh, the first one, that the way that he'll sort of have his back to goal or uh, facing goal with the ball, and even though he 's a very left footed player, you actually don 't know which way he 's going to take it around you um and he 's not he 's not supremely quick, but over those two yards or just moving it just before the defender 's going to get it he's he 's away from you, and that 's where Kenny 's really good, but not picking the ball up at the edge of the edge of our own area. You know, started to look
2: for the kind of Gerard role, yeah. Yeah, the, what what he used to do and spit the centre backs, and, yeah. and I don't think that that's where Tom Kenny's effective because what that means is the ball has to almost go long mm. because yeah. there's no one in, and He's, I think you look at someone like Steph Joe who's obviously so industrious and yeah. a lot of the QPR fans. Was, I heard a few saying as they walked out the ground, God, their number four team was was a bit special, wasn't he? And I thought Steph Joe had quite a poor game. Yeah, I thought he was so. All no, not terrible. I didn't think he was terrible. Yeah, He's don't,
3: been so good. That don't would... <laughs> swear. <laughs> Live on,
2: don't swear on the airwaves.
1: <laughs> um, but
2: it was, um, yeah, he, I didn't think he had that good a game. And yet he was still, they were like, he always wanted the ball. Mm. He was always trying to find the pass. And I think that, you know, you've got to commend that. Even when we're not, it's not working. I suppose that's what it is. There was no real plan yeah. B.
3: But the, yeah. when it, We covered it earlier on in the season that when we are, when we do get frustrated, the whole system kind of falls down quite a lot. And then players start going way out of position more than they should do. And you picked up on it perfectly that Fredericks got frustrated so much uh, so early on in the game that it kind of ruined his game. And the the only point he got forward um, was when he got booked because he got he lost the ball for for a throw in, got frustrated, had a go at the referee, and got booked for dissent. And that was in the thirty fifth minute, yeah. which is crazy considering we weren't losing at the time, I don't think. So why is he getting so frustrated? It's because we weren't massively on top.
1: Kenny and Joe, Steph-Joe and K-Mac trying to split those defenders, for me, it's just a big no-no. If you've got a team that are just going to sit there and hold a position, surely it should be your centre-back's job to bring it out and to push everyone on and push that team back and to open up those gaps. And we didn't see that nearly enough. I can only remember Callas doing it on a handful of occasions. I don't think Ream done it, but I thought Ream was was brilliant it was hugely infuriating though to watch Steph Joe
0: and K-Mac go right to David Button so David Button was on the edge of the penalty box just by the D and just literally like rolling it under Mm. his arm about two feet to one of Steph Joe or K-Mac and especially Steph Joe you're thinking Button can do that Button can hold the ball and make a pass you Mm -hmm. don't need to be there go 10 yards up the pitch and get us get us kicked on a bit I love playing from the back but that's it That's seems too, a bit crazy. Let's have a quick look at the goals. Uh, now, the first one for Q- Queen's Park Rangers, obviously the missed penalty was a key turning point, and this was the other big key turning point in the match. A rare mistake from K-Mac. I literally said to wor- the words to Ben, I just love how composed Kevin McDonald is. <laughs> and then he did that pass uh, straight into the path of Ryan Manning. Uh, David Button didn't know whether to stay or to go. In the end, he kind of just ballied around in the middle. I'm not saying it was really David Button's fault. Uh, And a good finish from Ryan Manning, his first goal, the Irish under-23 international, sent Queen's Park Rangers uh, fans into raptures. Is there anything worse than that goal music?
2: Oh no! No. Oh, actually, there is. There's the other goal music that they play everywhere else in 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 League One.
0: What? Yeah, that, that, that's that's the worst. That's, not even... that's
2: that's the mark of a Tim Pot Club. I've yeah. decided that if you play that tune after a goal, you yeah. can't be in the Premiership. You're not allowed. Like I think yeah. they should ban teams who play I, that after a goal. When we
3: went down to the Championship, it shocked me how how many teams had goal music. But I think that p- particular piece of music should be resigned to League
2: Two, let alone Championship. Again, At least the QPR one kind of has their own you know spin on it I, that's that's the only saving grace i have for it
0: i mean then again uh, fulham did have hey baby uh for several <laughs> years which was terrible
2: yeah awful
3: really <laughs> but, glad that but stopped. we all but we all sang it when we scored though
0: <laughs> well you do because you join in and what else you, you can't be the party pooper not joining in but it is uh highly infuriating and, and a rare mistake from k-mac uh, i'm sure we'll have to go several matches again before k-mac makes at a similar stake, fingers crossed touching wood if there's
2: any near me yeah i think it's he's been good recently which is why it's a mistake when it's why a mistake like that stands out so much i suppose and you know the the, the problem with me for k max one was that he did he made the mistake and then he sort of tried to blame everyone else and i was a bit <laughs> like there's no one gonna take the hit for you there my friend like you've really done that it was a good finish i thought um to, to not make the keeper I thought that was brave, actually, from, from young Ryan Manning, who does look quite an accomplished midfielder and uh, wouldn't look out of place in a Fulham midfield, I'd argue. Uh, very comfortable on the ball, I thought. He's and only he just was,
3: broken into the team. He's very he? young, yeah. yeah. Um,
2: we should have him. Let's have him. <laughs> um, nothing to do with the fact that he's an Irish under-23 international, I promise.
0: Oh, from the homeland. Uh, and then, um, later in the match, it was towards the last 15 minutes... Uh, A rare shot from Tom Kearney. There's so many times you just want him to shoot rather than take that um, extra pass. He did shoot, bit on instinct, and then a fantastic little flick from Chris Martin uh, to send the school end, uh, Mm -hmm. scenes in the school end, must I say. I nearly broke Ben's back in the process of celebrating that
1: one. (laughs) Yeah, he did. we don't want to know what you do in your spare time. (laughs) 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 Nicely done. Yeah. Yeah, you do sort of wish Kenny would shoot a bit more, wouldn't you? He's got a pretty good left foot on him. And, well, just
0: wreaks havoc, you know. Like
1: I mean, the, we, he did get a an really good...
2: howitzer in the first
1: half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was yeah.
3: there was a really good save. I think I don't think that save gets enough credit.
2: Also, I think it went. I think they gave a goal kick. Yeah, yeah, they
0: did. Yeah, yeah. they did. very angry. Yeah, great, great <laughs>
2: finish from Chris Martin. Though. Like we've we've just sort of skipped over that. It was it's an unbelievable finish, in fact, yeah. to just sort of. Pick up on that and be like, "Oh,
1: there you go." You after know. that first spell of pressure, where we had corner after corner, and we were really mm. breaking down their lines, then that was when when it came. And if we had done that maybe thirty minutes earlier, we could have easily had the points. But alas, keep you halfway quite well. What was
3: quite annoying watching it was the amount of times we got it into really good positions where it'd be three on three, and we wasted it a lot uh, where we were sort of getting it into the middle. Yeah, and it just wasn't. We were. Our decision making wasn't quite there, you know. Usually, we, you know, at the time, we're not really kind of punishing teams as much as we should do. But we should, we weren't even creating chances from those kind of things. No. Moves were breaking down quite a lot, which yeah. is quite uncharacteristic from us.
2: Yeah, we often create chances and waste them, but we didn't really create create that much. I thought the introduction of Ryan Sessignon was a was a bit of an odd one. Mm. I wasn't sure what what he was trying to achieve at that point. And I think
3: this shows that now we- we've got we have- the players going away to Af- Afcon. That 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 is our lack of strength in
1: depth, yeah. in that kind of position, yeah, we touched on that last week, didn't we, about mm. our lack of- stre- strength in depth we've got on the on the bench we had Sess Maddle and Sigerton, three mm. defenders, we've got a goalie, that's four subs, and we've only got and Odoi. Smith, yeah, and Odoy, and we've only got seven, and the other one's Parker mm. and Smith. So we've only got one real attacking option there, yeah, we need some wingers. It's not like it's
2: but it's also like you know we recall George Williams from loan and I thought the whole point of that was to cover the sort of yeah like lack of options, and you know you've made a point of before of saying that Slavs has a record of putting defenders on the bench and having his his bench as kind of sort of defensive cover for whoever he deems his first team to be, but you really do want some sort of attacking option to you know to to have have there at that point when especially because we were on top and we were sort of looking to to go on and win it and and all we could do was bring on a left back at you know in up top yeah. and it seemed a bit it seemed a bit nuts like yeah, and he was playing, Cess, and he was I look, playing right wing for I thought a few Cess Cess did bit. okay to be honest yeah he did, he did he, as well he did develop a, one of the weirdest moves i've ever seen on a football pitch where he like drove into the opposition area and then instead of like doing a step over anything he just sort of wobbled mm. <laughs> and then <laughs> and the defender like cleared the ball and i was like that's one of the oddest things I've can you, ever seen. Can you do a
3: demonstration for me?
2: Wobble. <laughs> Indeed, but yeah, there that's, we are.
0: That's how Jack impresses the ladies on a night out. Uh, so at the end, after Chris Martin's goal... Oh, sorry, I'm not talking to my microphone. So at the end, um, it was a very end-to-end game after Chris Martin's goal. Lots of tempers flaring, including a huge scuffle on the touchline. Uh, Fulham seemed to rise to the bait a little bit, and it upset our attacking rhythm. I mean, you can hardly blame them, though, after being kicked to shreds uh, for 90 minutes. Tom Kearney, in particular, just lost his head yeah. uh, towards the end. And uh, who was it he shoved over? Ryan Manning. Ryan Manning. Ryan Manning.
2: <laughs> after a horrible little kick out of Steph, actually. Yeah. And bear in mind, Manning was on a, was on a booking. Mm. There, was, there was a lot of chat on BBC Sport about should Kearney have been you know, sent off possibly but if he had been i think maybe manning should have been for the for the second yellow and also i think if he'd sent kenny off he would have had to send everyone off because it all went yeah. a bit
0: you know yeah, nuts, nuts, after, nuts
2: that.
3: after
1: that yeah there but,
3: was the, and there was the one in the dugout which was quite a lot of fuss over nothing um it seemed to start from just a small foul and then all of a sudden the bench were all getting involved physios and scouts no one's ever heard of were getting involved <laughs> i don't know what
1: the qpr what... assistant manager spit at one of our yeah, players spatty he spat did it? yeah apparently well i mean i didn't, uh, I, didn't I wouldn't do it Slavica. that's why he sent. that's why he got sent no. to the
2: stands he spat he spat so that was the reason he got he got sent off but it was I, all I, a bit I, mad
3: it looked like he threw a punch that's why that's why i thought i saw
1: well, i tried to find a video online earlier and i can't find anything and it wasn't in the match highlights either so maybe they're hushing obviously it. obviously being there like, We couldn't see everything, could
0: we? No, there was a brilliant in the moment of chaos where all the players uh, were fighting towards the end. This was after Tom Kearney's push, where there's like 20, there's 21 players all in the middle, like pushing and shoving each other. And Steph chose just to the side of the shot, doing up his laces, yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't care. <laughs> no,
2: I, don't no the up, like, I do not
0: yeah. how to get involved in this fight. Either. I really, like, I
2: really like the Chris Martin struggle with, with Joel Lynch, where it was fully, it was fully like hands around each other's yeah, neck yeah. they both got booked. But um, we also, I really enjoyed the fact that we put our key battle before the game as Chris Martin v Joel Lynch, yeah. and that wasn't quite what I was envisioning. It was, it
3: was almost like a pro wrestling grapple, wasn't yeah, it? Was, it?
2: They, they were never going to hurt each other because they had each other so tightly locked, <laughs> and it was like one of those. But you know, I you know, I, I like the passion in that, and I don't, I don't mind it. I know it upset our attacking flow, and it obviously wasn't good for the way we did. But especially with someone like Chris Martin who's obviously not been in the fans' good books in recent weeks, to one, score and fully come and celebrate in front of the fans, and two, to then be so quick in when Kenny was you know, in trouble and, and right in the heart of it, for me, is, is not the worst thing in the world. I think that it's a little bit of heart and a little bit of desire, and people are always talking about players that want to fight for the shirt, mm. and you know what?
3: Yeah, it seems to be the first year for a long time. I feel like there's a real whole team spirit. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, we spoke about
1: that mentality a few times, haven't we? Like mm-hmm. the, the, the togetherness of the squad is something we haven't seen for years, mm. and that's really, really positive to see. And like the players being positive, the way we've got ourselves out of certain situations, coming from behind to win and win comfortably as well, just shows how much they believe in each other and how much the mentality is there this year. Yeah.
0: Um, so we've spoken lots on the podcast about Fulham's lack of consistency, and I guess it proved again on Saturday. We just can't seem to put together. A run of wins we had the win against Barnsley and another draw and Fulham's form in the past eight has been draw win loss win draw win draw win now we're not quite as inconsistent as Ipswich Town do you know the stat about Ipswich
2: they haven't put together two series of results for 22 games or something like that something like that they haven't had
0: two consecutive losses draws or wins uh All season long, I think. Or maybe since the very start. The first first
2: two games, they drew both. And since then, it's uh, it's been all up in the
3: air. Yeah, they want to go back to the days of consistency of two draws in a row.
2: (laughs) You know you're in trouble at that point, don't you?
0: So we're not quite Ipswich Town, but certainly we're struggling to put together this run of wins. And we're not having a run of draws or run of losses either. We just seem to be switching results every game. But I made this point on Twitter afterwards that those eight games have resulted in 15 points just one defeat in those eight now generally the points regarded as needed for the playoffs is around 75 that would have been enough for you last season in fact i think that would have got you fifth last season a majority of the seasons you know recently 75 has been enough now this form over 20 games despite it being not very consistent just draw win draw win draw win with the odd loss would give us 80 points so the question I throw out to Twitter, and I'll throw out to you now first: Do we need consistency?
1: I'm 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 in the camp of yes because this year, the quality of the top six, seven, eight teams, all the way down to probably about ten, is much deeper than it was last year. Mm. I think we're finally starting to see all that television money coming down into the Championship as well now, and players and, and clubs have got players that are, are far-reaching where they should be able to recruit. I think Sheffield Wednesday is a really good example of that because they've got a, a squad that's full of talent that I say full of has got some talent that should be in the Premier League and obviously you've got Newcastle we've got Norwich we need that consistency if we if we can put together some good wins now then we should be okay and like we give ourselves a nice buffer
0: yeah Charlie Johnson on Twitter agrees with you he says we need to cash in on uh, in the next 6 weeks on easier fixtures reading apart Uh, as we have a tough run and we do actually have a very tough one april is a particularly big month so jack are you in agreement that you need to cash your chips now basically
2: alex bishop is fully in agreement he says we need a few wins in a row to give us some breathing space just in case we drop points open brackets which you know we will
1: so (laughs) i like the
2: optimism there from from mr bishop but it's yeah i mean there's a point i don't mind win draw win draw win draw win though because two points on average a game with the things would take us comfortably into territory yeah so i think the difference in consistency i don't necessarily think we need to win six games in a row if we're not going to lose any that's the that's that's it i think if if the consistency means not losing then yeah i agree that we need consistency we need to be not losing more than three four games from here to the end of the season we'll make the playoffs i I think it's as simple as that
3: i just think as long as we get 80 points at the end of the season that'll be fine with me regardless of how if we it's, do it, yeah. <laughs> it's true. I don't mind 20 wins in a row and then 10 losses, as long as we get the amount of points.
0: 20 wins in a row would be something pretty damn special. <laughs> uh, so next up, uh, in order to try and start those 20 wins in a row, we face Reading at the Medesky. Uh So we're recording this on Monday evening. So by the time you're listening to this, it may have already happened. Uh, so we're having to look ahead to this and look into the future. So apologies if you're listening later on in the week. Uh, but it's a very, very important game um, So if we're to stay in touch with the playoffs, a win would leave us just two points behind sixth, three points behind Reading. Uh, Jordan Abita is is suspended. Uh, It's going to be quite a different game to the one we saw on Saturday, Farrell.
3: Yeah, very different game. I think it's going to be, I think Reading are going to be far more prepared for us than they were um, when we faced them the first time and pretty much the second time because it wasn't even that long after we faced them the first time and Yapstam is going to really get into them to try and control the game a bit more. He mentioned it quite a lot at their game against Derby, although they lost it, that he felt that they could, they controlled the game for a lot against um, a really good Derby team, but they, he actually mentioned that we need to control it more if we are going to beat Fulham. So I think they are going to be really, really prepared for us this time, especially if they've faced us uh, two and a
0: half times already. Yeah, exactly. Um Where was I going to go from here? Uh, They they certainly... Sorry, I was going to say Ben. But Reading is certainly up for the taking. I don't know if you saw the highlights of the Derby game from Saturday, but a couple of their goals were real defensive horror shows, particularly the second one, which was intercepted by Will Hughes after them trying to play out the back.
1: Yeah, I think we look at uh, that that game and then a couple more. So if we we give ourselves a good sample um, for what we could be coming up against at Reading, I think... Their, Manchester, their, their tie in the FA Cup against Manchester United was a real good way for Stam to be like, this is the identity of the team and this is how we're going to play. And it was much too open for them. Um, and I feel like they were very open against us when we played them in the fog, although you couldn't see much of it. <laughs> um, although I feel like in recent times they've become, rather than being the controlling force that they were at the start of the season where they held possession a lot, they've now tried to become too much of a purist to where they're trying to play football everywhere on the pitch and that can leave them open to, to counters and, and to high pressing and stuff like that. And if they're not going to be good to play through the press, then it leaves them in danger. But I think we can take it. I think they'll be a lot more open, a lot more expansive than QPRs certainly were. And I think we're good at playing through for, for a press and I think we're good at taking our chances on, on a good day. Um, and I also like the way John the Beat has got himself suspended so he doesn't have to get done by Ryan Fredericks for the third game in a row.
0: It was such a petty uh, second yellow from Jordan Abita. I, he just looked at it in his mind, the way he kind of just like half pushed over Will Hughes in the 92nd minute, just thinking, I'm going to get out of Tuesday night. I just don't fancy it. I just Yeah, I think
2: Ben's spot on. I think you're going to see, Hope you hope that Reading are going to try and play their game, which is going to suit us down to the ground. You know, you, 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 you hope and pray, because, you know, it's not going to be that kind of shut up shop, kick lumps out of, out of your players that, that QPR tried. You'd hope that, you know, and you, everyone obviously wants to see an expansive free-flowing game of football. That's, you know, how the game is played. And I think you, the Reading game is more of a, you know, if we're going to play this kind of style of football and we and, and they are too, then it's almost like the best team wins. And, yeah. you know, it, on the back of the result. In, in back in December and 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 the and the way we played in the fog the first time you'd you'd hope that the best team would be us and you'd hope that also that kind of game will allow us to get back in our stride allow players like Steph and Kev to look at you know to get the ball down on the deck and play proper football again and look and and look to actually put Saturday out of their mind and get us back into into stride and into form.
3: It's so funny. We 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 did touch on this earlier on the season when form wasn't going so well that we seemed to struggle against some worse teams than us we seem we do seem to play better against better teams don't we we we're not a a, the way that kind of England seem to be and when we play crap teams that we just can't seem to break them down Mm. um and Fulham at the earliest part of the season we just couldn't break down teams like Burton we couldn't break down teams like Blackburn very well although we won that game Wigan and, and Wigan as well but then when we played Reading the first time and Huddersfield the first time it was just absolutely tore them to part, and they're good footballing teams.
0: No, It'll be, be, be an interesting game uh, tomorrow at the Medeski. And then on the Sunday, uh, we face Hull in the FA Cup, a 12.30 Sunday kickoff. Um, Fulham seem destined to not play at 3 o'clock on the Saturday if we're going to make it to the FA Cup final. Um, <laughs> you imagine that Slav will drop one or two players for that with an eye on Wednesday's game up at Burton. You'd have thought...
2: Yeah, I think it's a good a good opportunity to give some of the some of the lads a run out, and I'm sure we'll touch on it in our transfer section later. But especially some of those players that haven't got game, if they're still around at the club, you you know you look to get you know LVC Humphreys. I'd love to see Georgie Williams and uh, dinner around again, and Parker. You know it might be time for Scotty Parker to to have another little maraud around in the midfield because <laughs> you know you, you don't expect him to be pushing anyone soon unless unless there's an injury. For for that place, so, I'm sure
3: when he starts, he'll still treat it as the like the World Cup final. There. Exactly,
2: you know, and and I think that you could get away with putting a, a slightly youthful team out there and, and letting Scotty, you know, run that from midfield and try and get everyone g'd up for it. And I think that that might, you know, actually work in our favour later on in the rounds. And even if it gets to the point where, you know, we get two rounds on and and then we suddenly have, we're, we're facing a decent cup run and then you can bring players back into the side depending on where we are in the league at that point and what, what the situation is. So I think it's a good opportunity.
1: Yeah, I, I think I agree, De- definitely, definitely agree with that. I think it would be nice to have Parker in there, perhaps with LVC and trying to play the role of Johansson because they're both quite strong runners, aren't they? Yeah. So I think they could complement each other quite well. Um, yeah, I'd like to see... Some younger guys back in as well. You I, really want, I, really I really want to see George Williams.
3: I really want to see George, because I think he is a talented footballer. He just needs a bit of game time. And we did bring him back from loan for yeah. one reason. I don't know what it is at the moment, but hopefully he's going to get some game time in.
2: And also, poor old Hull are probably going to have to send their under 16s yeah, They've got no players. They haven't got any players. And poor Ryan Mason. Shout out to Ryan Mason. Mm, He'll yeah, be doing yeah. well. I've seen Ryan. Yep. But yeah, you you think that they don't have they they can't field a bench in they the Premier have. League at the moment, as in they've they've been playing benches with five people on them. Yeah. So,
0: and they've got their EFL Cup game in the semi final against tonight. Man United on Morning. Thursday, so they ha- won't have much time. To prepare for that game. But on the positive spin, I guess, for Fulham is that it's a very winnable game, albeit against a side in the division above.
3: Well, I, was, I watched this, uh, most of the second half against uh, Chelsea Hull uh, yesterday, and I was watching Hull, and you can tell that although they are bare bones, they do have some really talented footballers. They are a Premier League team, they're not there by accident. Um, so yeah. um, I still think they'll give us a very, very good game.
2: Yeah, I agree. They, they also seem very hard to break down. Like yeah. they, they've, I've seen that in a couple of games now, and they, they they don't roll over and they don't die. And they they, I think the kind of, you know, backs to the wall attitude has kind of mm-hmm. done them a, a, some favors in a way because they don't look like that kind of very weak, very disjointed side that they might have seen at the start of the season.
1: Yeah, I think that mentality that you you touched upon there is possibly what. Made Leicester well, what drove Leicester to the title last year, and just to touch on Leicester's um, on Hull's new manager, sorry, when he when he when he managed in Portugal, he took a team up from the second division into the first, um, then made them comfortably mid table based on solidity throughout the whole of the team. And we're seeing that with Hull already, they already look much more solid than they did under Phelan, who for someone that was Alex Ferguson's assistant manager for a very long time, didn't seem to carry over any of the traits that they that they showed when they were managing United. Albeit the quality of players not any way the same, but you'd expect a couple of little bits. That's
2: the that's a recurring feature.
1: <laughs> it is uh, of, Ferguson's it is.
2: assistants not actually being able to carry on Ferguson's work. Mm. Yeah,
3: polish
1: quirish. There's another one from yeah. the past. Can he go
2: to Madrid he and did, have yeah, an absolute nightmare? Night night yeah, he
1: failed and then went to Iran and took them to the World Cup. Oh, fair play, yeah. Jim.
2: <laughs> Ashkandar Jagger's right foot, just absolutely go. leading around to a World Cup.
1: <laughs> still available on a free,
0: still available on a free. Anyway, we're going to move on to talking about some transfer stories. Now, I'm never one There's a massive fan of debating gossip columns too much, and I imagine we'll come on next week uh, to transfers in much more detail and we'll have uh, a much clearer idea of who's to come in and who's to go out. Um I mean, every transfer window now seems to be built around transfer deadline day, and that is when the vast majority of deals are done. But January um, seems to take that to a whole new level. And if there's a deal to be done, it's most likely to be done uh, when there's a three in front of the date uh, in January. But there's been uh, lots of talk about one man in particular. We've already mentioned him on this podcast, so we won't go on too much. But Ross McCormack uh, has been disciplined by Aston Villa and dropped after continually missing training uh, linked with ourselves, Leeds and Derby. But it looks like tonight uh, some journalists out of the West Midlands are saying that he's definitely not leaving Villa. So maybe time to put that one to bed. And fortunately, looks like my armpit hairs are safe <laughs> after I bet on our WhatsApp group that if he came... I would wax my armpits. All three of your armpit hairs. I know. <laughs> I, think it would be, I think it would be really painful, even with just three armpit hairs. It'd be almost as painful as watching Ross McCormack
2: come back to Fulham.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I just... I, the, after we've had this Martin debacle
2: and everyone was so quick to jump on his back, despite the fact that we didn't really know what was going on, mm. we're now trying to sign a player who's gone on strike, like, actually fully gone on strike. Have you heard Ross McCormack's excuse for why he's not been at training so at villa? the gates? He was up, the electric gates in my Villa didn't open. Maybe you can get through them climb over (laughs) as in in, who designs a house with one gate like it it doesn't make any sense and i'm not buying that for a second ross is a very special player and a very a very good footballer but considering the fact that he doesn't want to fight from his place from the bench which is kind of what i'd be wanting him to do if he did come back i can't see that being a positive transfer for our camp. Yeah. So it, it doesn't make sense to bring back a player, much as he was brilliant for Fulham. And I will, you know, not hear bad words about what Ross McGuire did for the club, because I think that almost single-handedly he twice saved us from relegation. Mm. And I think that he was a wonderful servant. And he, and he, when he, even though he had his contract like disputes, he always came out and played. And like he didn't yeah. go, he didn't go striking for Fulham. And he, he always came out and, sk- and played and played well and led the team by example. But He's one of those players, if he's not the centre of attention, the focal point, he doesn't play. And it's just as simple as that. And I don't need him being the focal point anymore because we have that so spread around the team right now. And it's so nice to watch us have that kind of spirit. And, and what we were saying earlier about the fight, because, you know, the players are fighting for each other and, and one of those things. And you didn't really see that over the last two years. And I don't know how much of that has to do with Ross, but I can imagine it's a, it's a factor.
1: I think the fact that when Jukanovic got the bid in from Aston Villa, turned around and said to Ross... If you want to go, you can go. And didn't really be like, Ross, you're staying. We need you next season. We need you to help us fight. It's kind of an indication of how Jukanovic feels about the player. And right, like Jack said, he's basically saved us from relegation two seasons in a row. He's a very special player when he wants to be and when he's fit enough to be. Right now, he's not fit, not in a team. And I'm not sure how he fits in with our current team. If you look at when people are posing the question on Twitter, where do you see Ross McCormack fitting in? A lot of people are saying if, uh, are in place of Piazon, who's currently playing wide right. I can't see Ross filling there because he played it a few times for Fulham, and he's too, he's too slow. He's not he's not um, fit enough, and I, I cannot see him fitting in with how fast we play and how quickly we smash through transitions anymore. But I know that may upset a few people because there are a lot of McCormack fans. But personally, I'm not.
0: Uh, someone that seems far more likely to come to Fulham, and this name has been linked continually with us throughout January, is a standard age midfielder, uh, Ibrahima Well you know, We've made a few transfers from Belgian sides uh, in the summer. Dennis Adoy and yep. was, that, was that the only one? It
1: was doy and um, Cabano joined us from, yeah, from a one. Belgian team as well. Gent. Uh, a re- it was Gent.
0: A reported 2.2 million. Do we know much about Ibrahim Asissi and what he might bring to the team? is that?
1: Yeah, I do a little bit. Right. So he's a centre-defensive midfielder, originally from Ghana, I believe. He's 23, so not someone that we can come in and we have to wait a couple of years for him to be able to adjust. He's pretty big physically. um, He can hold his own in in the defensive role. He's a pretty good passer. And I know that he's quite positive when he has the ball. So I don't know if he'll play in supplement to K-Mac or alongside Steph Joe. I don't know how how much of an impact he'll make on our first team, but he's a good player to have for defensive cover. He's very mobile compared to Scotty Parker. And obviously, being young, there's always a chance that we'll be able to sell him on, which, as we've discussed in podcasts in the past, is like basically scoring a massive goal for us. Like If we can sell him on for more than we bought him, that's perfect. I
3: think there's a part of it just looking to the future and just improving the squad because... You know, as much as I'd like Scott Parker to play forever and ever, um, it's probably his last year, isn't it? At you know, at Fulham or yeah. in football in total. So, I think to have someone coming from abroad and to have Scott Parker as your sort of teacher in that kind of role—that's a pretty good one to have.
2: I think the the one that suggests to me that Cisse might come, even though he did play for for Standard a couple of days ago and that's not something you necessarily do if someone's leaving, is that we got rid of Tunnicliffe. And I don't think that Slavisa would have done
1: that. <laughs> I heard, little
2: didn't ode it? to Ryan Why my, my man. I miss you already. <laughs> it's very sad. And every time you, know, you think of these, these goals against Bristol City, <laughs> the performance in the Cup...
3: What was his squad number again? Because he hasn't played for that long, I've forgotten his squad number. 19.
2: RT nineteen. 19.
3: So nineteenth uh, minute this Sunday. Should all <laughs> I think we should make a, a
2: crap for Ryan Tunnicliffe. who was the most I know we're gonna come on to this the most underrated servant of
1: Fulham Football Club. Oh hmm. poor
2: Ryan. I, I I liked
3: Ryan Tunnicliffe. I mean, not I to like the his extent on his
1: commitment. Yeah.
3: yeah. Like, he had the kasamis about him, like the you know, not the goal. I mean, just the way he's sort of Handled he's a good himself. yeah, he's a good driver of the team he can take a team forward
2: a consumer professional some would say
3: <laughs> some, some Jack Collins might no, but
2: I think the point I wasn't actually going to go into Tunnicliffe <laughs> I was going to say that for later but you know you set me up We're here so now. no I don't think we would have got rid of Tunnicliffe with without a defensive midfield cover coming in because I think that if you lose either K-Mac or Steph Joe to injury it's you know we go back to that whole point about Parker and McDonald not being able to play together in the same axis and we don't have adequate cover for that for that role now that tunnecliffe's gone out on loan i suppose we could recall him but that seems a bit rogue mm. but it, he'll just go on strike and won't come surely back surely if
1: he was if he was in the plans should that situation ever be there then he would still be here
2: which makes me think that there's Absolutely. someone coming in because i don't think slavisa would make that kind of decision yeah. on a whim
1: now
0: on to underrated fulham heroes uh, leading us swiftly on <laughs> there's a nice link there. yeah exactly <laughs> Forever finding trying to find a good seg.
3: We're gonna have to give uh Jack a minute though, because he needs to wipe his tears okay.
0: away. Oh okay. Uh, Jack, would you like a donut just to make you feel better?
2: Uh no, I don't want to comfort eat. Uh, <laughs> that sounds very Bridget Jokes. Like, <laughs> what have you been doing since Ryan Tunaclive just eating Mars bars? <laughs> Literally sat on my sofa crying and eating Hagen Dars with a spoon. Like <laughs> um,
0: this was one brought up by Farrell. So Andy Johnson is now on Twitter. Da, 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 da. Andy, Andy Johnson. Johnson. Was that his song? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: We're a Fulham fan, so creative. <laughs> <I know.
0: laughs> um, so give him a follow at Andy Johnson08. Now Farrell reckoned uh, that Andy was one of his most underrated Fulham his- heroes. So we asked listeners uh, for theirs. Uh, but first of all, I will open it to the table. Can we all bring uh, an underrated Fulham hero? To the fold it's a little bit like revisiting some of the forgotten fulham a little bit
3: annie johnson for me was just a phenomenal footballer i remember and someone did say on twitter i um said that um he was sort of a player that just took us to the new a new level um i remember that in his first game it was someone pinged a ball over the top and he was the first fo- fulham footballer i had seen the ball was coming over his shoulder and he was able just to take an actual touch rather than it and it didn't go out of play or it was actually intended and that was the first time I was like my god we've actually got like a we got and he was an England footballer and we haven't had like a consistent England footballer before that um so for me he was just a phenomenal footballer and just it was unfortunate for him that it was in our best season ever he just got he had the the horrible injury which was from an absolute rugby tackle from some Russian unknown footballer against uh, it was for Hamcup. Um, oh, it was Hamcup, was. wasn't it? Yeah, but um, I got—I had two that I had to think about for other underrated heroes from recent memory. One of them was Klaus Jensen, who was just the classiest footballer. Yeah, and he had a couple of injuries, He so was in and out of the team for a bit. But whenever he played, he was just unreal. I was surprised when we got him from Charlton at the time for such a ridiculously low fee.
0: Could take a belt of a free kick as well.
2: Yeah. Wonderful dead ball specialist.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, ben, any underrated Fulham heroes that sprung to mind when this question came up?
1: Yeah, I think um, my memory's considerably shorter than Farrell's. So I think I'll probably <laughs> have to go for um, Big Dick himself, and the Two Who. That was That's going to be like, my one. You're Talking about me. <laughs> well, there you oh, go. <laughs> is, <laughs> <fucking> <laughs> hell. Let's keep some decorum on
0: this podcast for God's <laughs> sake.
1: Just smut today. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: that was yeah. going to be my one as well, interestingly, Ben. Dixon,
1: the two who I thought he um, was a pretty good glue to, to a side in, in the um, early 10s, um, shall we say. Uh, yeah, I thought he, was, he played some very good football. And for a technically quite limited player, he did play some very good football. He mm. scored some good goals as well. And another one, um, who I thought was really, really good um, during our Europa League days, but doesn't get too much love compared to like Geera, likes of Gera, um, was Damien Duff. Mm-hmm. Who I really enjoyed watching play, and I thought he was a majestic footballer even when he joined us so late in his career, and put in some some brilliant, brilliant shifts and scored some great goals. Yeah. Um, even well into his thirties, he was yeah. absolutely roasting fullbacks. And I don't know how he had the same move every game, shift it onto his left, whip it in, and like no matter what flank he's on, the defender didn't realise what he was trying to do. Yeah. Like I just thought that was brilliant, and yeah, he'll always live in a memory of his. Uh, Little copper Mondial's whipping balls in. Yeah, I like that one. Jack,
2: I'm going to stick with the Irishman theme. Uh, mine was Steve Finnan. Uh, yes, the, the maybe one, of the probably the most accomplished player I've ever seen in a Fulham shirt. He just didn't. There's what I can remember. Steve Finnan having one bad game in all of the years he played, and it was against Man United uh, at the Cottage, and it was Giggs <laughs> in his prime, and Giggs <laughs> gave him an absolute nightmare. Oh, I, but. Giggs scored a worldie that day. Yeah, he, but it was also like Giggs was unplayable that day. It yeah. wasn't even like a... But Steve Finnan was the most just like lil, just on the right wing. Just He just did bits every mm. day. He was just there like, yeah, and you're not coming past me and I'm going to whip in some good crosses and it's just all going to be very comfortable. Yeah. And I remember being very sort of, I could play right back. I like <laughs> Steve Finnan made being a right back cool. Yeah. And that's something that no one does. He got
3: into the PFA t- Team of the Year in the first year of the premier league didn't he yeah
2: i'm really pleased he went and won a champions league medal because yeah. he was actually a legend and the other one who was same sort of era that never gets enough love was Alan Goma mm. who was Great literally player. one of the most assured center backs and he had a series of awful partners and it was like <laughs> Alan you are Goma about football partners. Alan Goma made that <laughs> night look unbelievable and it's like he's like Calas like he makes like average players look excellent and i remember Alan go when Alan Goma left being like we're going to really struggle to replace him because he was just he was so again so assured on the ball he didn't like make rash decisions yeah. he was sort of just this no nonsense french center back who wasn't having any of like you know these skillful players trying to go past him just literally like block tackles yeah. and, and and just stopping stopping strikers and you know what Shouts out to the old guard. Yeah, and that
3: kind of reminds me, and I didn't think of him before, but now I think of him, Sylvain Legvinsky. Yeah. I, I would say that he was definitely underrated for his time. Mm. He did, He had French caps to his name, but he was a just a no-nonsense player, but incredibly skillful, like, you know, tall, lanky, but popped up with the odd goal and... You know, you, there was nothing of him that was completely out, but he was just an all-round good footballer.
2: I think at the time, we really liked him. I think he's just been sort of a little bit forgotten to the ages because we had sort of Malbronk and Sahar. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's probably the, the difference between yeah. them. At the time, he was definitely seen yeah. as a key man in the
0: squad. I will never forget that goal against, against Newcastle. Newcastle. Oh, oh, the against one against Spurs as well oh, yeah, yeah. The 3-2, but that one against Newcastle. Uh, for Coleman's first game at Loftus Road. Um, absolute belter Chris Coleman sweeping away that mop that he had on his head
3: (laughs) (laughs) for the celebration Uh, just one more for like uh, the old timers because it was sort of the first sort of exciting player I saw growing up uh, in the promotion year from division three that it doesn't really get mentioned at all because from that season there was Mickey Conroy and Robbie Herrera who were sort of the stars of the team I'm doing inverted commas Um, but for me going to a few games from when i was younger the, there was a young exciting winger called paul brooker who was just at the time it was like wow this kid is going to be a superstar and he played quite a lot in that promotion season but doesn't really get the recognition that i think he deserves because he was so exciting and so direct he absolutely roasted defenders um week in week out in that season but then we got promoted and obviously the alpha alpha Ed era started and he kind of got frozen out of the team he couldn't in and was moved on and sort of wandered into journeyman status he actually played in the Premier League a couple of times
0: under Mickey Adams um, which I don't think Fulham fans actually know <laughs> <laughs> uh, A few from Twitter just really quickly uh, that were also sent in uh, Ben Keenan said Aaron Hughes I yep. think um, yep. I think yep. a- Andy Aaron Hughes is such an overrated, underrated Fulham hero because I think he's one of the <laughs> yeah. ones that f- people always go to uh, because he was the kind of unspoken about heart of that amazing defence that was leading us through that European run. Uh, David Mitchell said Steve Finn, and it got quite a lot of likes in the comments. Mm, I said, great servant, and the best right back in the country at the time. Uh, Chris Parker said Moritz Volz. um, Goonis gets a mention from Brendan, uh, and lots of people saying Dixon Atuhu, which was my one uh, before Ben. um, Sorry, mate.
2: I like Kevin's Martin Jetu. I'm a big (laughs) fan of that. So, Shouts out to you, Kevin Mc- um, Kevzy McGee.
3: Uh, Patrice Thomas chose uh, Lewis Holtby, who I loved watching in that
0: mm. three
3: months he was at us.
0: I hated yeah. McGath for his treatment of Lewis Holtby, yeah. Yeah. how he, he dropped him, because I think Lewis Holtby was one of the keys to us getting out that yeah. situation. Yeah.
3: Well, they hated each other from their time at Hamburg.
0: Hamburg yeah. yeah, no, they um, certainly. Uh, Lewis Holtby, when that News must have come in, must have just thought, oh, for God's brilliant. sake, brilliant. <laughs> so we've just got time uh, for one quick email uh, from the listeners. Uh, we want to get more uh, emails and questions from you guys. as much as it it's as much your show as it is ours, really. So uh, there's numerous ways you can get in contact with us, obviously. There's the normal ways, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Loads of you getting in touch that way. If you want to send something a little bit longer, or maybe you're not on social media, you can't be bothered with the Facebook, Twitters, Instagrams of the world, you can always send us an email, and we do check them pretty regularly, at fulhamishpod at gmail.com. Now, we had a question from George Rossiter, friend of the podcast.
2: Friend, big friend, big fan.
0: Um, and this is a great question uh, that I thought I'd pose to you guys. Uh, if the EPL slash EFL, uh, Premier League or Football League, brought in a similar system to China, only three foreign players, who would you pick with our current squad? <coughs> Belter of a question, George.
2: I'd <laughs> have to go Kalas, Johansson, and maybe another centre-back if that, if we're not going to play signings. If there was signings involved, I'd pick Aitee. But if not, you'd have to pick another centre-back because we just don't have adequate cover to, to be able to play, you know, the, the team we're doing. Unless, before we've blown out Tunnicliffe, I might have put Kevin McDonald in at centre-back next to, next to Tommy Callas. We've had
3: to play there a few times yeah. because of sendings off.
2: But I would have... My, my very important thing was that you need to sign Charlie Mulgrew for my system to work. Or Harry Harry Maguire off Hull, who's like my new favourite Premier League player. Just a marauding, Lewis Dunk-esque centre-back who just loves like forays into the opposition penalty box. He's gone mad. He's like Hull's best attacking threat outside of Robert (laughs) Snodgrass. He gets quite a lot of
0: goals, doesn't
2: he? He just literally, it's not even like, you know, you expect your centre-back to score headers and whatever. Harry Maguire wanders into the box from his own half. Like he just goes on like these weird
0: runs and just like shoots loads. It's really odd. But I really like him. Uh, ben, who would you go for?
1: I'm going uh, based on the assumption that Sonia Aluko, who's declared for Nigeria, is actually being counted as a homegrown player, yeah. just simply because he's been here the ho- yeah. in England the whole time the oh, whole of his career, obviously aside from his at Rangers. So I'm going to go for Tommy Callas, Steph Joe uh, and Aite, um, just purely based on the fact that if we did get rid of Maddal and Tim Ream, who just on a side note, it's been fantastic the last few games. Yeah, um, if we if we get rid of them, we could potentially get some a couple of people there. And I quite like Courtney House from, from yeah. Wolves, and I said that in our WhatsApp group. Um, and there's a couple of other guys I quite like. Um, Loughton, or Loughton? Loughton Matt yeah. Loughton. Of, of Burnley, yeah. Yeah. Is it Matt Loughton? Yeah, Matt Loughton. Yeah, yeah I so quite, like, quite like him. He had a quite a good game against Arsenal yesterday. Um, but yeah, I think those, those would be my three guys. I think Callas is is brilliant and will turn out to be a world-beater one day.
0: Yeah, uh, Kalas and Steph-Joe both getting nods from Ben and Jack. Farrell, are you in agreement there?
3: Uh, yeah, I've got Kalas, Steph-Joe and Sean Kavanagh. Um, <laughs> oh,
1: my <laughs> <fucking> God. <laughs>
3: <laughs> He's foreign. No, I'm kidding. Um, I did put a Luco down before. I thought, no, nah, it's not. But I would go Ay- Ayite as well. I think he obviously, in that first few games, he was really good and obviously fell out of favour for a little bit.
1: Ankle injury, not out of favour.
3: Yes, yeah, sorry, but he did cut. I mean, he came back and yep. was kind of fell out of favour, but then he came yep. back in the team, and I thought he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. For the, before he went, left for Afcon.
0: So we've come to the end of this week's podcast. Uh, Secretary Jack, please, can we have a title for today's podcast, as ever?
2: Uh, in homage or homage to my uh, my departed, long lost sadness of the leaving of Ryan Tunnicliffe, I, I think we're going to call this one, and here's to you. But I have had a thought about this, and I'm very surprised with our lack of originality and chance that no one has managed to adopt the And Here's To You, Ryan Tunnicliffe, into And Here's To You, Ryan Fredericks, just yet. Ah, because, I mean, I it's, very, it's very simple, isn't it? And we're not very good at creating new songs. So, And also, why has hi-ho Steffi Hansen not caught on and everyone keeps singing the, the old Seven Nation Army? Because he stopped scoring. Yeah, but, no, but now they sing the Seven Nation Army song, which is rubbish. Uh, yeah. right, I haven't got, got it, well it to hand.
0: I haven't got it to no, hand. No, 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 it's, uh, no, it's fine. You know,
2: we're, uh, we're all, <laughs> well, pu- D- all grown-ups here. We all D- know where it is. So <laughs> we do know how to find it.
3: Dom's not here. We can't embarrass him by making him sing it. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, Jack, uh, me and you are off to the Reading game tomorrow. We are so indeed. We, we will be uh, trying to start, and here's to you, Ryan Fredericks, and also uh, singing Hi Ho, Steffi Hansen at the top of our voices. We'll be those nutters at the back that you're kind of tutting. I go,
2: we probably won't. <laughs> We're quite, you know, quite quite, quite small, polite lads.
3: Yeah, we are. <laughs> we won't, we won't <laughs> cause
0: any trouble. Come and Gen- say hello if you see us. <laughs> uh, yeah,
3: Gentleman we- Jim, that's the one who'll be going, who the hell are those knobs at the back of the
0: <laughs> <laughs> So um, thank you once again for listening to this podcast. Uh, please go share it. Please go follow us on Instagram as I appealed for at the start of the podcast. And if you've got any questions or comments or anything you'd like to tell us, drop us an email, fulhamishpod at gmail.com. We'll be back next Monday as ever for another podcast. We'll be looking back at the important game at the Medeski Stadium on Tuesday night, plus also some reaction to our Sunday lunchtime kickoff against Hull in the fourth round of the FA Cup. So chaps, once again, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you next week. Take it easy. Toodles.
2: See ya. (laughs)